Welcome, welcome, welcome. Guess who's back? We're here back sports Q&A with our first episode of our new podcast. This is A, and over on the other side is who is that? This is Q. That's Q. Back, Back, yes, indeed. We stepped away for a little while, uh, took a little hiatus, still stayed uh, close and uh, relevant within our other social media uh, offers, but we're back. And uh, we kind of decided to do things a little different, more convenient. We'll probably see you all more, and you'll probably hear from us a little more often than you did in the past with us in this podcast. Our podcast will be a little shorter snippet and more fast, so we can hit you back maybe three times in the week sometime, depending on what's going on in the sports world. But I think the people really want to know is, Q, what have you been up to? Man, just a lot. A uh, couple of new jobs since I since we've been on air. Um, handling that, just trying to get ready for this this sports season. Dealing with the NFL mess as usual, the the craziness of the NBA free agency, LeBron going to LA. We 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 definitely have to get into a podcast with that. The upcomings with the the NFL, uh, the college football season where. We're going to be touching on a few things about that in a segment or two. And just getting ready for the sports season. Um, Major League Baseball, hockey, everything is just whirlwind. Is Tiger back? That's a whole nother conversation. Um, it's, it's just a lot going on, but it's a lot going on in life. What about yourself? Well, just, just maintaining, working, had a little vacation, spent time with the family. Um just really digging in and and, and uh, licking my chops, ready to get back at the episode. We kind of took a, a impromptu hiatus, but constantly like, yeah, we're gonna come back. How are we gonna do it? You check out us, us out on our social media sites. We got a new logo. Uh, we we really kind of bring it in. It's gonna be a little more engaging, especially with the new platform that you're using. You can ask questions. We're leading up in between podcasts, so we can really be what we are the true voice of the fan oh yeah with that yeah yeah definitely with that we're gonna go right into our first topic hot off the freshes uh the presses uh training camp and just to say before we even get into this dude it's been a lot of popping of these chops at, at these training camps with these joint practices dude this is a craziness and it's whether people are giving people extra compliments or setting them up for the okie doke i don't know what it is but it's been a lot of tension some tension between teammates or ex-teammates. Uh, yeah. But this is, uh, we have uh, one of the best uh, defensive uh, backs in the league, Mr. Ramsey, talking about it. I'm going to get the quote exactly. I got to pull it up real quick. Here we go. Talking about Matt Stafford. So I don't know why people fall for the bait when somebody asks them about somebody else not on their team. Because it's really okie doke. But his quote is Matthew Stafford, I think he's straight. I don't think he's the best quarterback out here, but he do what he got to do. So some people took that as a slight towards him. I mean, in all reality, <laughs> and that that's kind of a fact right now. Until Matt Stafford can do something other than put up Superman numbers. But within the right... I don't think it was in his place to actually say it. Stafford came back where well, he has his own opinion, blah, blah, blah. Oh, excuse me, not Stafford. Stafford's uh, number one wide receiver or number two, depending on who he is, who you think it is. Uh, Golden Tate came back with a nice little uh, pop back and said he has his opinion. I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why uh, the last time we played two years ago, what happened? He asked the question, and the reporter said, oh, the Lions run won, and Ramsey was crying on the bench. And Tate said, oh, what's your take on Ramsey? Was it good, bad, and different? And then what was your take on the response by Tate? I mean, corners and wide receivers are the divas of the NFL. And they're going to – I mean, we've already seen Jalen Ramsey – do and say some things to earn the nickname of Mr. Zesty. 
So I think this kind of falls right in line. And like you said, the whole situation with what he said about Matt Stafford wasn't that bad. When you really look at this list, and I'm going to get into some of these comments and I'm going to touch on what the whole golden tape back and forth, bringing in the agent, all that mess. This is what he said about Aaron Rodgers. Now, we heard what he said about Stafford. Aaron Rodgers doesn't suck. That's not really a compliment. When you really think, if this is supposed to be a top three quarterback, that's not a compliment. When you look at what he said, I guess he said the same thing about Tom Brady. Now, maybe he was playing it safe, but dude, those two guys, you kind of tiptoed around, but then when it came down to somebody like an Eli Manning, he said Odell makes him. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, decent at best. We have Andrew Luck, don't think he's good. Matt Ryan, this is the ironic thing because I personally see a lot of the same similarities with Matt Stafford and Matt Ryan. The only difference is Matt Ryan has the, the playoff success. He called Matt Ryan overrated. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting to see how that goes. But I think the most damning comment that he gave was rookie Josh Allen. I think it's not fair because dude hasn't even played a, NFL, a meaningful NFL game. and He's already being called trash. So, I think Jalen Ramsey is not one to mince words. It's I mean, do you do you really have bulletin board material in the NFL? Now, if this was college, I could see this kind of playing up to that. This, then you're off your game. Um, but as far as what Golden Tate said, where's the lie? Where is the lie in what he said? And it's funny that uh, Jalen Ramsey's agent had to come in and pull the stats, and I, and I think that's what normally happens when you know you can't do play the dozens or go tit for tat or or play the Jones games. You got to go go to facts. Yeah, Golden Tate only had maybe one catch or two catches in the matchup, but at the end of the day, who won the game? And was Golden Tate really the guy that he was checking most of the game? What happened to uh, Marvin Jones? I mean, there are some ways that you can look at this. And, and, and really figure out. I mean, the fact that his agent had to say something, he didn't bring this up. Jalen Ramsey, Jalen Ramsey lost that battle. I don't care what he says. I don't care what nobody else says. Once you, that's like somebody going back and forth, and then your mama got to make a comment from the, the porch. That's why your mama ain't this. No, mama, stay out of this. This has nothing to do with you. This is between the fellas. And once the agent stepped into it, Jalen Ramsey lost the battle. Right, and and speaking of mamas stepping into it, it wasn't a mama, but Matt Stafford may call a mama from time to time. <laughs> Matt, Matt Stafford's wife chimed in, and she chimed in from some uh, an area totally different from the field. And she and this is her quote from her Instagram story: "Can someone tell me why GQ magazine is interviewing Jalen Ramsey?" I understand ESPN, but not GQ. There is nothing GQ about. Then she goes on and says, this seems like a complete waste of time and space. So that's his wife coming to his defense. Like you said, somebody's mama coming to break up a fight or when you get somebody getting the best of you saying your mama, this, this kind of, you know, you got to stay in, you got to stay out of the locker room, wife. I mean, it wasn't like he, he, uh, Attacked your family or your kid, went after your kids. That's what happens. If you if you going after him for this, heaven forbid if, if Matt Stafford is mic'd up in the game. Yeah. And the stuff that they say to him, and the stuff they say about her. Cause I guarantee you, some man first neck in this next game gonna say something about his wife to him if he plays. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. What was said about Stafford was harmless. I don't, I didn't see a problem with it. And, and, and I kind of think that's what Stafford's whole M.O. is. He he is what he is. He's not a, a, a great guy, but he's not bad. And I've always had this conversation with guys that talk sports that may be lying haters or may not really know the whole encompassing about 
Matt Stafford is like, and maybe I'm a Staffite, uh, a member of the Stafford fan club, but I, I realize who he is, what his limitations are, and where he kind of fits in this in this pantheon of top quarterbacks. Because is he a top quarterback? In my opinion, yes, but he's at the bottom of that list. Ask yourself that, Al. Is Matt Stafford a top 10 quarterback? Top 10, which means he's in the top third of the league. I think he's like, and I, I'm not naming the list, but I would think he's at the either at the very bottom of that top 10 list or at the very top of that next third. Um, because the thing is, is that uh, you, you have to look at his whole career. But if you look at, I would say, the last four-year snapshot of his play, his leadership, his completion percentage, his interception percentage, all of those things have have gone whichever way it needs. Interceptions down, per, uh, completion percentage up, leadership. Granted, they haven't gotten the playoff win first, and I think that's the one thing that's holding it back. But, again, uh, you know, that's kind of the, the catch-22 with quarterbacks. You get all the credit when you get the wins. You get no credit when you get the losses. You know, you get the blame. So, I think he's right on that cusp. I think he is in his window of this next three years that he is either going to uh, take that step or take that tumble. Um, yeah. So, and the thing is, is that I think in him taking, in order for him to take that step, I think his stats are going to go down, but his efficiency and his proficiency is going to uh, increase. And, oh yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think Patricia said it best that he wants the Lions to stop having to depend on Stafford so much, which means that he can be more of a weapon when he's not your only weapon. Oh, yeah, definitely. And and before we transition out of this conversation with Jalen Ramsey, one quarterback that was ironically overlooked in this whole rant, so to speak, was Cam Newton. And you – I wonder why he chose to not mention Cam Newton because this is a guy that when you look at some of the names that he went off on, that he 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 singled out, Cam kind of has that up and down mentality. I, I had a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago on Facebook, on one of the many Facebook groups I'm in, and they asked about Cam. Well, is he a great quarterback? Compared, to, it was a comparison between him and he and Matt Ryan, and I'm like, okay, Cam has had one had the, the the MVP season, but other than that, he's been very inconsistent. His interceptions, his completion percentage, he's a good quarterback, but and and I think he's one of those guys just like the most of the league where if the the pieces around him fit right, he's gonna win. He's not a guy that can carry a team and I think right now there may only be two or three quarterbacks maybe even four in the NFL right now that no matter the circumstance of the running game no matter the circumstance of the wide receivers no matter the circumstance of the defense this guy is still going to find a way of winning and primarily that first guy I think of is Aaron Rodgers because even when they won the Super Bowl that year they had I think the 32 the 32nd ranked defense, they were opportunistic where they forced a lot of turnovers, but they, they gave up a lot of yards, but they found a way of getting it done. And I think bringing it back to uh, Stafford, I think that's where he fits in. He's a guy that can win, but the, it has to be the perfect scenario. He has to have that run game because if nothing more, it takes the pressure off of him and it keeps the defense fresh. And we've never really seen a fresh defense Late in games, and that's why we're always playing catch up. But it is what it is. Um, you want to stick with the NFL, or we want to actually, I'm gonna stick with the NFL. Um, what's going on? Are you still on? Because I know you did this last year, and I applauded you because you stuck with your convictions and you gave a great reason for doing it. Are you still on your no NFL watch ban this year? I am. I'm still on my no NFL ban. Uh, I actually uh, is actually no NFL and no Madden. I didn't buy Madden last year, but this year I didn't buy Madden, but I donated it to Know Your Rights, mm -hmm. uh, Colin, uh, Colin Kaepernick's 
uh, foundation. Um, the thing is, it is it, it's, it's really hard to support a system that I can say that at times I was obsessed with that uh, doesn't support the ideas of making where we are, uh, where we live better. Yeah, And it's not a lot that the NFL can do per se physically, but the stymieing of thoughts and mindsets to make the change, the paradigm shift, and then really trying to control it and just the outright, I would say, audacity to last year go from owners after the first kneeling kneeling down but not for the same cause of the players but because the president called them out and now to try to go and say well nobody can kneel or you got to stay in there or we're monitoring or you can't be on this team if you did this and I'm not even going to go into the Jerry Jones thing but it's just a sad state of affairs and if I can just by what I do still do the same thing that I my goal is to still volunteer and put the time in to put into the community that I would have put into the NFL. Yes, I'm still a fan of the Lions because I've always been. I like the sport of football. I want to watch a whole lot more college football like I did last year. Um, But it's still the same aspect of um, things have to change. And uh, a lot of people working – content with the NFL giving saying hey we're going to get this money and do this but it's not just throwing money at it because you got billions so if you really want to make a difference and throw money at it you could throw some real money at it in every community and everything and you have had some ownerships and the Lions have been one of them who they've thrown money and say hey well causes that our players feel they're important we will donate to that to me I think that's a much bigger deal than a lot of people take uh give the ownership credit at and say, well, they just throwing money at it. Because the thing is, is that there will never be a way for owners who are, who most owners born into being millionaires, born into a financial legacy to be able to relate to what actually goes on in these communities. And, and I, and I heard something, I can't remember what I was listening to. I think it was Kevin Hart, uh, serious station. There was somebody was talking about how the relationship that um, people not in poverty have uh, with police officers uh, is much different than people who are in poverty or are minorities. It's a basic trust versus a basic mistrust. And it's based upon experiences or stories of people that, you know, so it, it you can they can never relate. Uh, fully because they haven't been in that situation unless they are a self-made millionaire and they pulled themselves up from their bootstrap. You can empathize, uh, you can sympathize, you can't empathize. So it's it's just a really tough thing and as people are grandstanding, as I feel that they're doing, owners, uh, based on this climate that we live in right now, it makes it really hard to support this product. No matter how much I want the Lions to win, no matter how much I enjoyed it, no matter how much of a social setting that it, it is, uh, it's just very difficult for me personally to support that system. Uh, so I'm doing like I can. I've done it in other instances and never even made a a mention of it, of boycotting certain stations and other things or avoiding patronizing certain uh, companies. But to me, this is just what I feel I, I need to do at this moment in time. Uh, and I would, and the thing is, for the people who are doing this, I would challenge them to kind of challenge, if not the team, players from the team and things that to get more involved in the community. And I think that will change certain aspects of it. And I know the Lions do a really good job in the city of Detroit. They adopt schools, they out in the community and do things like that. But I'm, I'm not just talking about those, those uh, PR moments and those photo shoots and video clips. I'm talking about the real things that are going on. And I know that safety is an issue being an athlete and a celebrity of just going into some grassroots aspects, but I just need to see more as a whole, like 
and here's the thing, and I know you, I don't know where you are on this. I know last year you didn't necessarily, we didn't see eye to eye, but you respected my point of view. In Dallas, how hard is it people to be a Dallas Cowboys fan uh, and you're not? Well, as far as the Cowboys, it's, it's just interesting because you still have a lot of people that are supporting the fans and they're making excuses. I'm in a, a, a Facebook group with a bunch of Houston and Dallas uh, natives. And anytime someone brings up the Cowboys, a couple of people always turn it into a situation of, well, what about this or what about that? Why aren't y'all speaking up for this? I'm like, but none of these other owners was as brazen as Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones has come out and said, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. I think maybe uh, the Miami Dolphin owner tried this, but as we can see from this first week of the preseason, some of the Dolphins players are like, okay, we're going to do what we're going to do. Kenny Stills and a couple other guys still chose to kneel, so it's going to be interesting to see what comes from that. But with the Cowboys, it's just one of those situations where Jerry, of all people, needs to basically shut the hell up because he was here's an owner that brought back a murderer in Josh Brent who killed his own teammate. We saw what he did with uh, Greg Hardy when nobody else wanted to give this man a chance because they knew who he was. He signed him. We got uh, Randy Gregory that's still trying to figure things out. You got a, a litany of former Cowboys who stayed in trouble. This, I mean... They, the cocaine boys from the 90s, all this stuff that's been going on under Jerry's watch, and he wants to be this person. And then to make it even more hypocritical, we've been in situations where the national anthem has been played out in, out in California, I think even during Oxnard, the, the, the practices where they are. And I think it might have also been during the, the, the preseason kickoff game versus San Francisco where this man did not take his hat off. So, okay, mm-hmm. you're you're talking about the disrespect of the flag and all this, these veterans, but you're disrespecting the flag. And, and, and I think that's the biggest hypocrisy that I've seen with all these people that feel that the players need to do certain things. I'm like, for one, do you know the whole layout of not wearing your – the American flag on certain apparel, you're not supposed to wear it, but you still have people that do that. And you having a, you having chimed in against those people. Then when you bring up the whole, Oh, you're disrespecting veterans. That's a crock of bull right now because America disrespects veterans. Because when you see these, these young men and these young men, women coming home after battling, fighting for our rights, they're treated like crap. Their health care is, is, is piss poor. Their mental health care is piss poor. A lot of them end up in situations where they're homeless. And I don't know what, I wish I could find this video. And somebody basically laid it out. It's like, we step over these people like they're no one. But these are the people that you want to you wanna say, oh, we're disrespecting the veterans. No, we've been disrespecting our veterans since Vietnam and before that. Anytime they've come home, they've been subjected to things that, no man, no woman could understand, but there's no care given to them. And, and the NFL has treated them as a prop. When we look at these these flyovers, when we look at the the salute to service, all this stuff is a financial pl- uh, front. And it's, it's, it's hypocritical because now you're saying, oh, you don't want these black athletes to stand up. Welcome back to the next segment of Sports Q&A Podcast. So, Q, this debate has been going back and forth over the years. Now it's hit the fan in Chapel Hill, the UNC football, selling the limited edition school uh, uh, shoes to the secondary market which they're getting a pretty penny. Can the NCAA right the ship? At what level are players responsible? And are shoes really worth that much? So th- those are three questions. And I'm going gu- I'm to let you ride with this because you're the sneakerhead out of here. I'm a striving uh, sneakerhead that will 
much rather spending money on playing golf than buying shoes. Uh, but I want you to give me your input, and I'll bounce back after you. But I definitely um, want to hear that last question answer from you. Um, as far as the NCAA, I'm gonna put it this way, and we talk this off air. A rule is a no matter how stupid the rule is. So with the NCAA coming up with this and saying that they've assigned a value to this shoe or apparel because it extends beyond shoes. Um, and you can only, you can't sell something if it's worth more. As dumb as it sounds, if they these guys at UNC, Michigan, Cal, and Marquette have signed agreements saying that they will not sell these will not sell this apparel. So, I mean, it sucks, but once they signed that agreement, you knew what you were getting into and what you were risking the moment you decide to say, maybe I can flip these shoes. Um, now, what the NCAA would need to, should do, is, and I've been saying this for a while, instead of paying the players, because I, I, I still don't find, I don't think there's a legitimate, equal, equitable way of paying all collegiate athletes, not revenue and revenue without having some of these programs go bankrupt. Unless you, unless the NCAA is footing the bill totally, I don't see it working. But what they can do is allow these players to do whatever they want with the property that they receive. If it means uh, certain types of jerseys, if they, like, oh, you give these guys their bowl game jerseys. Because most of the times they have a certain patch or a special uniform that won't be worn again the rest of the that for their career. Let them sell that jersey if they want to. If they get a certain pair of shoes, and it, this extends beyond the Jordans because there's certain Nike trainers, certain shoes, certain colorways that never release. Sell that stuff and not get in trouble for it. Let them be able to profit off their likeness if it means. Uh, uh, a dealership wants to put their face on the billboard up to a certain amount, let them profit off that. You set up an account where 10% of that money goes to a team coffer. So the lesser known players get a cut of that. And then you have where the walk-ons get a cut of that. Also, then you have the balance um, because I, I really don't, I think the one school that, tried to do it the best was University of, or University of Oregon when they had their their team. What they basically did was the football team got special shoes, got the Air Jordan 3s, got the Air Jordan 4s, but what they made them do was those shoes were their game day shoes. They were their walk-up shoes. They're walking across campus getting ready for the game. So they issued those shoes out the day before the game, let them wear them, pre-game, whatever they're going to do for that. Then they had to turn those shoes back in after the game. So it was a lot easier for Oregon to kind of keep track of who had the shoes, where the shoes were going, and all this stuff. Where it got dicey was, it wasn't with the players per se, it was with their their special interest uh, group for the fans called the pit crew. These were fans that were required to attend not just football games, basketball games, which were the, which tend to be the popular sports uh, to attend on the college campus, but they had to attend so many non-revenue sports, some of the boring sports. I wouldn't say boring, but some of the lesser-known sports like women's volleyball, like men's tennis, to get access to this group called the Pit Crew. And being a part of the Pit Crew you got certain types of shoes. Now, those shoes were making it to the black markets, uh, the, the Ebays, the StockX, the Go app. Those were the shoes that were making it there, not necessarily the player's shoes. Now, it got dicey maybe two or three years ago where the Oregon basketball team got in on the, the uh, special edition shoes. And because it's hard to regulate, telling the guy, oh, I want to play in the game in these shoes. So you can't tell me, oh, I got to turn the, constantly turn these shoes back and forth in. So it's hard to regulate. They were the guy, two, two of the players, two Oregon Duck players got caught selling the shoes because they figured, okay, I'm done with these shoes. Uh, I got another pair that I'm going to wear, so I'm going to sell these. And that's where they got in trouble and they got suspended. Now, 
ask to answer your final question, is there a market? Most definitely. I mean, there's value if somebody sees it. Um, no different than with cars, no different than how anything that a, a tangible item. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to really find something bigger, but yeah, I've, I've sold plenty of shoes on StockX far exceeding the, the retail value. It's a pair of shoes that I sold. I bought for $160. I sold that same pair of shoes for $1,200. So, I mean, there's a market. And with these shoes, with the Michigan shoes, with the Marquette shoes, with the all these university-based uh, shoes, there's a greater demand because there's a, a limited stock of these shoes. Not everyone can get access to these shoes. So because of, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pick on Michigan. And from what I saw in an interview with Jim, uh, Jim Harbaugh a couple of days ago, he doesn't think any of the football team is implicated in that because they have a certain way of checking for these shoes. And so far, all the shoes I think have been accounted for. So they don't have to worry about that. And the University of Michigan gave out a lot of shoes to not only celebrities, but other people tied to the universities. universities. So these people may have been the ones that were selling the Michigan versions of these shoes. But mm -hmm. there's, I mean, like the, there's every year, like this year, Florida and Oklahoma just recently announced becoming Jordan brand schools. And they, they went through the whole gambit of every Jordan shoe being in no, in no specific team colorways. And those shoes are hard to find. So if you can find that shoe, people are willing to pay two, three, $4,000 for that shoe because that it's, it's a, 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 a uh, exclusivity that comes along with it that a lot of people really want. And I mean, I'm not at that level and I'll, I'll probably never be at that level, but um, the shoe game is very expensive. There's Eminem has a shoe out on the market right now. That's going for tens of thousands of dollars you have. So I think as long as someone's willing to pay. So again, I think the, 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 issue with the pain of the players comes down to finding a way that works for all uh, but then really digging into um, really cleaning up and the NCAA stepping up and doing what's right and to monitor things that are giving college football a huge black eyes uh, when you look at the situation in Maryland when Maryland uh, the player died and now you find out that it was uh, something kind of like out of the 60s with football it appears to be uh, that the mentality and the culture was the culture of um, you know whatever uh, win at all costs and, and reckless abandon towards health and things of that nature and again these are accusations but the one thing that I do see that I like is that the university is getting behind it. And the president is speaking out that this is wrong. And if this happened, then the coach is going to be held responsible. And that's what you have to do. Uh, but it, it is just the thing. And we've talked about it offline that this old school coaching mentality cannot exist in, today, in today's society. It just can't. As much as you want to, as much as the, you want the coaches that, that, that crack the whip and you run suicides until you throw up or you roll and do bear crawls until you can't walk no more, that just doesn't work. So, so Q, what, you know, what's your thoughts on the Maryland situation? What's your thoughts on the resolution of this type of uh, uh, mentality and culture in college football and football in general? I mean, first of all, the whole situation at Maryland is beyond unfortunate. Um, I know we talked about it off air, and you wonder why the parents are now come, kind of coming back with the lawsuit, the civil case. But I think initially it was a, it was because of the fact that they thought this was something that, I'm not going to say naturally happened, but it was just within the course of what happens when you're practicing football? He may have pushed himself too hard and, and, 
just figured, okay, I can get this, I can get through this rep, I can get through this this exercise through this drill, and not have to worry about some water. I get it in a minute, and I'll be okay. But now what we're finding out is there was a a a culture of what you call barbarianism, where these coaches, the strength and conditioning coach, is push was pushing these players beyond their limits, and 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 basically punishing them for wanting breaks, for wanting some type of respite. And that's where it gets ugly. I get that, and you mentioned it earlier, that, oh, you, if this person, the punishments, or not getting water, seeing water as a, a last resort and not a, a, uh, a reward type of, as a reward and a last resort and not a necessity, that was problematic, and that that whole mindset from the the sixties, the seventies, and even the eighties, and some parts of the nineties, it has to be gone. Um, I, we both watched uh, Last Chance You, and the the whole the the language, the the whole mindset of that coach out in Independence, Kansas, was crazy. And, and the sad thing about it is. As bad as he was, some of those players responded to that. Yeah, you may not have needed the the direct foul language and the cussing at players, but some players have been conditioned to the point where they don't respond well, they, or they've they've learned to tune that out, and it's, it's crazy. I mean, I had a baseball coach in high school that reminded me of this college football coach. And, and that should say how bad it was for us. And, and, and it's one of those things where you just have to limit it. And, but it goes back to these coaches knowing when enough is enough. And the same thing can be said about Ohio State. I mean, Urban Meyer had Zach Smith on his staff at Florida. He had an incident at Florida. If, if Urban Meyer really cared about the well-being of this, of Courtney Smith and Zach Smith, it would have been like beyond the fact of trying to get them help. Dude, I can't keep. I, there's, I want you to succeed, but if if you don't get this together, I can't take you where I'm going. But he did, and and, and what we later found out, this is. Smith is the grandson of Earl Bruce, former Ohio State coach, who gave uh, Urban Meyer his first start in coaching. So there's some loyalty, there's some indebtedness coming through this system, and it's unfortunate. And it's, it's, it's sad that this coach was able to do this to his wife and not be reprimanded by his by his staff and not be high, held to a higher Standard because if this was a player, he wouldn't have got this many chances. I mean, look how quickly we've we've kicked certain schools have kicked players off their program for speculations. How quickly they've been suspended for speculations, whether it came back to be true or false. You have a player. If this would have been a player, he would have been suspended immediately, and there wouldn't have been no question. But because it's a coach, he gets the benefit of the doubt. What kind of message is that being sent to the the, the the players that are on the team and these guys that are recruiting you? But I said this, anytime a scandal comes up, people bring up the whole mindset, how is this going to affect recruiting? Yes, there may be one or two players whose families will say, oh, I might not be able to, I might not feel comfortable sending my son to play for But for everybody else, I want to get to the NFL. I want to send my son to the NFL, and you're the best way. I don't care what you do off the field. As long as you can get my son to the NFL. And the whole shaping of men, molding into manhood, is irrelevant and it's thrown out the window now. It's, it's sad. Yeah, it, it is sad, um, but some people are willing to sacrifice it for the dream of or the potential of achieving the dream of becoming uh, a professional athlete uh, and everything that comes along with that. So the thing is, let's focus on so 
our predictions on what is going to be the end result of each of these scenarios. And I'll go first, and we can go uh, in reverse. Uh, the Ohio State situation, originally when things came out, uh, and it's still sketchy to me, and the, the order of operations is sketchy. And, and just the blatant throwing people under the buses is interesting. I'm really interested in seeing what this report and how defined is going to be. But I don't think there's any way that they are going to fire Urban Meyer, not because he doesn't deserve to, because if he didn't report what he was supposed to. But I just think that there, this is going to be a situation, and there are a lot of situations, unfortunately, like this when sports wins over. More a moral compass. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I, I see the same thing happening. But there's a, a, a slither inside of my mindset when it comes to this. If they, if he reported it like he claimed he did, what's the hold up with this 14 days or this report? If everything is on the up and up like Urban Meyer claimed it should have been, this report should have been, oh, within two days. We found the paperwork. We saw what he did. We're good. He's absolved. There's no problems. There has to be something deeper that we're not seeing or that we don't know about that's causing the, the, the Ohio State, the people that's involved in this investigation, to dig a, a little bit deeper than what they than what we thought. And then, even taking the next step further, if Urban Meyer did what he was supposed to do back in 2015, then why did he fire his ex Smith now? And those are the questions that bring up, that, that cause me to pause when I, I, part of me feels that he should, but I know in reality, like you said, winning Trump's all, and this is, I mean, even though Ohio State has a history, look at their coaches. They don't. Their coaches aren't fired because I mean, other than John Cooper, their coaches aren't fired because they're not performing on the field. There, there's usually a scandal. Jim Freshel and and other coaches. Look at the, the the Pantheon. All those issues that Earl Bruce. There, there were some things that took place outside of the wins and losses that caused their their fable coaches to go down and maybe this is it but i mean it, it's going to be interesting and i'll chime in on the Maryland situation i'll let you close it out i don't see how dj durkin survives this because this is a when you involve a death and then the, the school has already accepted responsibility they've they severed ties with the, the strength and conditioning coach he resigned and this is a situation where uh, there's reports of DJ Durkin participating in some of these extreme cases, throwing weights at players, whatever, whatever. Uh, former Michigan player Jabril Peppers has come out and said he had a unique way of handling things, even when he was at Michigan as a defensive coordinator or defensive assistant. So there's a history there with this guy. And... I mean, keeping it 100. He's from that Florida tree, that same Urban Meyer Florida tree where when it all costs, if we don't, as long as we don't get caught, and even Urban Meyer has had a reputation for pushing players beyond the extreme. Uh, there's this thing called the Valentine's Day Massacre yeah. that took place at Florida, and I spoke with a young man, that play, uh, a good friend of mine, that played at Ohio State. Same circumstances where guys' quads were exploding because they were doing leg presses to failure. And there were certain exercises that was expected of these guys and certain things that took place. So Durgin came from that environment in Florida, and he just kind of pushed it on. And it's like, like you said earlier, this isn't the 80s. This isn't the 90s, and, and I think we have to really get, as a society, get away from this, oh, they're just soft. No, when you know better, you do better. And I will forever use this reference to the day I die. Just think, 20 to 30 years ago, 
we used to be able to smoke on an airplane. How asinine does that sound right now? <laughs> right. But we used to be able to smoke on an airplane. Yeah. And if somebody even thought about doing that right now, how vilified they would be. But 20, 30, 40 years ago, it was commonplace. Being able to smoke in public places, inside restaurants, was commonplace. But once people started realizing secondhand smoke, exposure to the carcinogens, we can't allow this in enclosed areas. Now look at it. When you know better, you do better. And it's time for the NCAA, it's time for these coaches, and the, even on the NFL level, the collegiate level, even now extending down to the high school level and the peewee level, to do better. Because if not, they're not going to be around long enough to see the to win and put these guys and do what they claim they want to do with these guys, and that's put them in a position to be better men. Yeah, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly. I think uh, he's going to be fired uh, if it's proven that that he had knowledge, he was a part of it, because uh, he established the culture, and if that culture was accepted uh, because he was over it, then you know that kind of seals seals his fate. I think you you hit the nail on the head is that it has to be a collective uh, uh, front that this needs to happen. But you have a a certain sect of of the football society that believes that it doesn't or it's tainting the the legacy of football. Um, but the thing is, is that what you have on the other end is you have a more athletic athlete than you did in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s now. So you really have to take that into account. So uh, um, uh, it's sad that these incidents occurred. Uh, definitely sad that, uh, that the player lost his life. But how are you going to adjust and adapt from this tragedy? And it didn't appear to be that they adjusted and adapted in the right manner or method. Because, um, again, you have updates and reports coming up well after the fact. Well after the fact. Uh, in both these scenarios. So, uh, I just, you know, like you said, I think people just need to really put... Uh, the moral compass a little bit further ahead than where it is or where it has been to make sure that, um, you know, the human capital aspect is uh, is uh, valued more than what it is. So with that, we'll be right back with our special guest, B. Hunter. And welcome back to Sports Q&A Podcast, Episode 1. And we're here with the Prince of Detroit. Oh. Yeah, the man himself, formerly known as B-Hunt. He didn't, he didn't raise up to B-Hunter. He, he's done it all. He's doing it all. He's uh, a mover and shaker within the local uh, journalist uh, scene and within the community. None other than Brandon Hunter. How you doing today, Brandon? I'm doing good, man. I appreciate that intro, too. <laughs> hey, man, hey, listen, you can give me credit. You don't have to, but you are the prince of the D, man. I promise you, dude. You are hey, so the king, though. For the king. That's, that's right, man. That's right. You you, you from that? You, you from, from the, it's your legacy, man. Oh, man, I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem, man. So, so Brandon, I want you to tell because we, we're here, man. We work together. We talked. You've been on us when we were doing the show. We, we were switching it to a podcast, but we really want you to, this segment, really, you just talk about what you're doing and why you're doing it in the D. So we're gonna let you roll with this. Uh, my community work. Oh yeah. Yeah, I do my community work. Um, the Landon Maxwell Hunter Foundation is named after my son because you know covering high school football in the inner city, you see these kids. And I started my um, it all started with when I saw kids playing football and they didn't have adequate footwear. So I started my piece for kids. I started that back in 2016. My first event. We collected about 250 pair of football cleats, which was actually a lot. And then um, the following year, uh, we did like 400 pair of brand new football cleats in the box. A um, couple corporate donations. You know, just trying to help the kids out, uh, make them look good when they play, have them adequate footwear. So that's why I'm doing it. You know, you cover these kids in the city. I used to be one of those kids 
Uh, I used to play baseball at, in high school, and I and I played in some Air Force Ones, some mid type Air Force Ones, because mm. wow. <laughs> My mom had five kids, and I lived in the East Side of Detroit, and then we just couldn't get we just couldn't get it, you know. So I know what these kids are going through, and I want to help them out, so they want to grow up with feeling like someone doesn't care about them, and even if their parents can't do it for them, somebody in the neighborhood who got that outreach, who got that uh, touch within the city, and help them out, and that's what that's what my goal is too. I mean, I mean that's great initiative, and it's rooted in your experience and knowing uh, what it's like. But now you're being on the other side, reaching back. Uh, reaching out that olive branch to these kids so they know that, like you said, somebody cares. So, again, Brandon doesn't just stop with one thing. I mean, I think he does at least quarterly events in addition to what he does within the community, just going out and investing in the future, investing in what's here. And he's actually a history buff within the city. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little more. But Brandon has a, another event, his third annual backpack giveaway uh, coming up on uh, September 2nd. At Pingree right. Park, uh, Brandon. Uh, I mean, what what are you looking for as far as donation? How many kids are you and families are you trying to to service with your with your program? Last year I did three hundred and eighteen bags. That's my birthday. That's how I know that. So mm -hmm. this year I hit that goal higher. I'm, I'm looking to hit five hundred kids or more um, that day. You know, just trying to help the families out in the neighborhood. I don't really look at it as charity, but just trying to help the parents out. Because, like I said, I used to be one of those kids and. My mom had five kids, and we used to have to wait after the school year to get stuff, you know, me and my brother, so that my sisters can get something first because my mom just couldn't afford it. So, you know, you got those families out there. You know you see these parents. It's a big, a, help, a huge help to them to help them out with school supplies, and even for, even if it's not for the whole 10 months, but at least it's to get the kids started off. So we're looking to start about 500 kids, um, have a bounce house, some music and food, just have a fun day before they go back to school, what, and that, that Tuesday, that Wednesday? Yeah, that Tuesday, yeah. So wh what time does it start? Uh, it's going to start at two o'clock, around you know, two properly, properly at two, okay. and then we're going to end it at six or whenever we run out of everything. So at two o'clock, I'll be there. Okay, so so people who are interested in, in donating uh, and giving to to this event, how can they reach out to you? How can they donate directly? Uh, no sports Q and A, and we're donating uh, at least fifty dollars, it may be more, uh, to your organization, um, as we always do to try to support you. And supporting the kids but how can people reach out and support even people that don't even live in the city yeah now if we want to meet up with you in the city we can meet up um my number is 313-551-1904 or we can uh, meet at my office downtown that's 1452 randolph 48226 that's right by the uh, paradise valley right around the corner from 36 district court in that area or people sometimes people just know they might not have time to go get supplies they can donate money and uh, my, my foundation square cash is LMH Foundation. That's LMH Foundation. And so those are several ways that you can donate. And we can meet up. I always like to do that. I like to meet people who like to donate. You know, and get them a face with the program. And again, this is Brandon Hunter. Again, the Prince of the D, giving back to the city. Uh, again, on the 2nd of September, he has his backpack giveaway at Pinkery Park starting promptly, as he stated, at 2 o'clock. At 2 o'clock. So, Brandon, get, get, I want you to talk about a little bit, because I'm going to go on one of them. I haven't made it yet, but your your tours of the D, your historical tours that you've gone on a couple of times, and I know you try to promote it. I just saw you posted something about a book about the D. I mean, the D has such a storied history that a lot of people don't know or don't care to know about. But what, what what's your real interest, or why are you really in, intrigued of uh, uh, the history and the lore of the city of Detroit? So Detroit is like a very important city to the world. You know, it gave us the automobile. We used to be the stove capital of the world. You know, we got Motown, all our sports history. It's a really a really important uh, time. Um, sorry about that. I just drove past with some loud music, but yeah, Detroit is a very important city. And I feel like that's been lost over the last 30, 40 years, you know, with our decline. People don't really understand how important the city is. So, you know, we're trying to bring that back, tell a lot about the black history of Detroit and the history period. The Henry Ford, Walter P. Chrysler, you know, David Buick, guys like that with automobiles. You know, without that happening in Detroit, we wouldn't have that. Like, we literally put the world on wheels here in Detroit, you know, so... That's just my passion for it. I, I really can't explain. It. That's just my passion for it. I like. I'm a teacher. I like to teach people about it. You know, a, a historian. You know, so people can take some pride in their in their city. 
I mean, and, that, and that's the whole thing. A lot of people don't recognize it. They may look at it, the city of how it may look in certain areas now, but how rich the, the culture and the history are and the people, the knowledge. I know you're a people person. You'll sit there and talk and you get nuggets from people, especially now being a journalist for the Michigan Chronicle. You definitely uh, get the, the, the story of the people. And I think they got the right person there. I don't know how long uh, you're gonna, they're going to be able to keep you because the, the, I'm just saying, dude, really just the passion. And, and I, we've watched your career grow uh, and develop from you just being a freelance to just the desire to be there to uh, working on some online sites to re- getting a shot. Uh, you know, working for the district athletic department for a minute, just really doing it and just the hard work and dedication. Uh, and the thing is, is that the people that don't know, and I know, and I know you don't mind because you're still working on doing this, that you weren't necessarily uh, trained in school to do this. It was the will and the desire and your desire to write and your desire to tell the story and to support the kids that didn't necessarily get the support aspect of it. Yeah, yep. uh, never stepped foot in college, you know, and that's circumstantial because I grew up, you know, super poor, just trying to barely graduate high school, just trying to find my way out, and was actually homeless, homeless at one point. So oh, wow. school was the last thing on my mind, but I always had that will and that good head on my shoulders to make something of myself. And like I said, I had that drive and that passion to do something with my my life. You know, and once I got that one connection, it just took off. And you know, networking has been my uh, my base, my foundation, and it helped me get to this point. Yeah, and I I agree wholeheartedly because if you would just watch how those kids. When Brandon was in the stands, they wanted him to follow him. They wanted to get coverage. The parents would be mad if he wasn't covering the kids. Uh, it was classic. But that was the thing is that that you were the voice of the youth. And still, and now you're not just the voice of the youth. You're the voice of the city. And just let yeah. you know. So we, 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 we definitely wanted to talk about what you're, you're doing in the city and stuff. But we definitely wanted to highlight you as our first sports media spotlight for somebody that is doing, doing their thing. And we appreciate it, both being uh, natives of the, of the D, working in the field, you being a fellow crusader, just what you're doing, because you're not doing it for any claim, you're not doing it for any prizes, you're doing it because it's within your heart, and you know it's something that, that you want to do, and we definitely appreciate you for that, brother. I definitely appreciate that for having me coming on and highlighting what I'm doing for the community. You know, like I say, giving is not, it's not uh, what I do, it's who I am, so. I definitely appreciate any any acknowledgement or any help towards my uh, my initiative. And that brother is humble too. So Brandon, where, <laughs> where, again, where can they? How can they donate? And then how can people follow you on social media? Okay, you can follow me on social media on my Twitter at just call me B Hunt. That's J U S T C A L L M E B H U N T. Um, just call me B Hunt. You can follow me on Twitter. I mean, you can follow me on Facebook at Brandon Hunter. That's B R A N D E N, Brandon Hunter. Or on Instagram at B Hunter, B H U N N A. And then with my um, back to school drive, you know, we can, we can always meet up. I like doing that. My phone number, you can give me a call. My phone number is 313-551-1904. We can meet up at my office, which is 1452 Randolph, downtown Detroit, 48226. Or if you want to donate a monetary donation, my cash app or square cash is LMH Foundation. All right. Well, you got it here first. The Prince of Detroit, Brandon Hunter. Well, again, want to thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for the things you do in the city. And we definitely appreciate you, brother. Thanks, Casey, brother. I appreciate that. Got to shout out King, all the King Crusaders in the world. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. And don't and my, and my co-host is a, is a Renaissance Phoenix, so don't hold that against him. I feel bad. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry King was my first choice. I just couldn't make it to the east side. Yeah. I, I, I can see that. I feel that. <laughs> we all can't be kings. So yeah. That's right. That's all right. All right, B. Be safe out there on that bike. I would appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Yep. Welcome back to Sports Q&A. Uh, great, great segment uh, with uh, Brandon Hunter. Again, the Prince of Detroit. Uh, but that's going to wrap up our first episode of Sports Q&A Podcast. And Q, tell them where they can find us. I mean, we're everywhere. We're on uh, our website, www.sportsqanda.com. Um, Twitter is sports underscore QA. Instagram is sports underscore is sports Q 
QA, um, Facebook page, sports, QA. We're everywhere. So if you can't find us, you're not looking hard enough. That's true. And our podcast is through Anchor, but we'll post it on all our social media sites. Make sure you follow us if you're on Anchor. Uh, this is a new platform for us, but we're still trying to bring the same high quality product. And we're looking to see you much more often. If you join Anchor and you follow us and favorite us, you can definitely send questions for us to cover in upcoming podcasts. As you know, college football is upcoming, the baseball season is wrapping up, a lot of things to cover. NFL is a couple of weeks away as well. Uh, and then we can get in about, like Quinn said earlier, the things that are going on or went on in free agency in the NBA. So with that, people, we will see you all when we see you, but it will be much sooner than later. Peace. Peace.